Greg Kelly. The latest breaking news and opinions. Entertaining and informative. Uh, hello, 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 hello. Uh, wow, I was hoping this war would be over by now. I really have other things I'd like to get, get on to. We all would, including and especially the Ukrainians, their lives. Uh, this has gone on long enough, uh, although a lot of people fear that, what's his name, Putin is about to ratchet things up big time. You know, so far he has been holding back. He's got a lethal air force that has not been doing nearly the damage it could my theory for that is uh, he's not a benign guy, but uh, when you take over a country, as he wants to do, you want there to be a country to, in fact, take over. If you decimate it, uh, really, what, what use is it? I mean, having rubble all over the place. So he thought he could do this somewhat cleanly uh, with minimal military effort. That's turning out not to be the case. I am very, very hopeful that there will be some kind of agreement worked out. It's, uh, they're meeting still. Are they meeting still in Belarus and and uh, Belarus and uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians are sitting at a table now? Not Zelensky, who, by the way, I saw today a little while ago on CNN. Guy named Matthew Chance got the interview. I uh, crossed paths myself with Matthew Chance in a place called Gaza many years ago. He, uh, I, I don't want to say he sat down with Zelensky because they were all standing up. It looked like it was in the middle of uh, their Capitol building, but I don't think it was. And he hasn't shaved. He looks pretty rough, but um, that's kind of that's kind of what I would look like or you would look like, right? If your country was under siege and you had the what seemed like the weight of the world on your shoulders, so he's he's still there. He's fighting, fighting for his country. He is obviously the good guy in all of this. I just want it to be over. I do not. Did you see the footage of the what, they, what they call the Freedom Plaza? in the heart of Kharkiv, being blown away, just destroyed. Well, it actually wasn't destroyed. At first, I thought it was a car bomb. Um, They said it was a missile that hit the building. And I'm like, I think the building is still there. What happened? And then I slowed it down. And no kidding, it wasn't a car bomb. It's a missile attack. You can actually see the missile. They say it's a cruise missile, which could have been fired by a ship. Uh, I don't know. But you can see the missile. And it hits... Doesn't hit the building. Doesn't actually hit the building. Did they want to miss it? I don't know. I don't think you can get that close on purpose. Um, the building, a government uh, facility, is still intact, although there's rubble all over the place. <sighs> Thank God for the TikTokers. They've been keeping us informed. They've been showing us uh, what's happening over there. Yes, the Russians have been slowed by the Ukrainians. I just like that we don't have to wait Six months for the fake news to tell us what's going on over there. That's the way it was in World War II. They weren't really fake back then, but guy would be in a ditch with a typewriter. I showed this on my show last night. It, literally, people would bring their typewriters there and write in a ditch and send it via mail, airmail sometimes. Sometimes they'd be able to wire it somehow, but, uh, you know, dot, 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 dash, 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 that kind of thing, Morse code. Things have improved. Over the years, they've improved. Who remembers Vietnam? Fewer and fewer of you do. I personally do not, but I know history a little bit. And who remembers Morley Safer? He became a big deal on 60 Minutes. He's dead now. Here he is broadcasting from Vietnam in 1965, cut 42. 
the war in Vietnam is all about. The old and the very young. The Marines have burned. Come this way, Khan. The people that are left. Today's operation is the frustration of Vietnam in miniature. There is little doubt that American firepower can win a military victory here. But to a Vietnamese peasant whose home is a means a lifetime of backbreaking labor, it will take more than presidential promises to convince him that we are on his side. Morley Safer, CBS News. You hear the spin? He comes up with some spin. Now, you got to give him credit. He went over there. He is over there, and he's uh, reporting what he sees, but he puts his little spin on it as well, which seemed to be a bit uh, anti-American. Uh, a lot of folks were against the war, especially the news. Uh, no secret that uh, Morley, we know, was leaned left. But that was the limitation of the time. There were only so many war correspondents, and you had to rely on what they were telling you. And then, then there was the government version of things, and they weren't always straight, let's face it. So that was the situation then. You had to rely on a very small number of people. And it wasn't immediate. It was better than World War II, but it took time. We didn't have satellites beaming television uh, images back then, 1965. I don't think so. I think the first television satellite was launched in the in the 1960s. But, no, they had to uh, bring that stuff. They had to develop the film. They had to send it back. It was a long time. Now, things gradually got better. Uh, who remembers the Gulf War? The Gulf War, and uh, we all thought it was really amazing looking at a map all night long and hearing some guy on the phone. It was pretty compelling coverage. Uh, Let's see here. I've got, uh, this is 1991, the Gulf War. CNN, cut 43. Three waves of aircraft here so far. And while we can't see uh, activity, we can hear bombs landing, possibly to the uh, north of our hotel. That was Peter Arnett. And uh, who else was over there at the time? Bernard Shaw, guy named John Heilman, I think, was there. No, not John Heilman. That's a fake news guy who's alive. Uh, John Holman. He was great, straight reporter who died a few years back. So that's the way it was. And then it changed. And I was there for the change when the United States foolishly and wrongly invaded Iraq in 2003. Well, I was there as an observer, an embedded correspondent for Fox News. And we had some pretty, for the time, Interesting technology, uh, live satellite transmission that could send back images while on the move. So when you invade a country, you're basically moving out the whole time. And uh, we had a special kind of hookup. And as my vehicle was rolling, I could narrate and tell people what was going on. It was really amazing. And I felt privileged to be there. Everything was going great. Until we got closer to Baghdad, and then we started taking casualties. In fact, we lost um, more reporters by the time we got to Baghdad than we did soldiers, crazily enough, at least in my unit, the 2nd Brigade Combat Team, a couple of thousand of us. We lost like four, we lost four reporters and only one soldier by the time we got to Baghdad. It was crazy. I thought they were going to call off the war. Um, Christian Liebig and a guy named Julio Parada were taken out, direct hit, a missile hit them where they were standing. Uh, David Bloom was with me, actually. Now, he died of a, of a 
some sort of aneurysm or something like that, but it was complicated by where he was. He was cramped in a tank all day long. He wouldn't have died had he not been in Iraq. And there was, there was another guy, Michael Kelly. He wrote for The Atlantic. He died. Uh, he, he drowned, actually, at night. You know, there are a lot of ways to die in war. Not everybody gets hit in the head with a bullet, okay? Uh, you're moving thousands, tens of thousands of vehicles at night. Uh, the scariest moment I had wasn't when I was knocked off my feet by a, the blast of a grenade. That was, that was rather, uh, it was somewhat upsetting. But I think the scariest moment I had was driving at night in a Humvee and you could not see anything. We were sharing a pair of NVG goggles and I was convinced we were going to crash or drive off into a creek. And that's what happened to Michael Kelly. The vehicle went into a creek as they were taking fire. He tried to go behind a tank. And the damn vehicle flopped over into a canal, and he drowned, of all places, drowning in Iraq. All kinds of horrible things can happen. Anyway, I'm going to play a small clip. Of, this is me, Greg Kelly, in April of 2003, rolling into Baghdad in an armored personnel carrier. This is the first time U.S. troops entered Baghdad. Go ahead. Oh, it's the, uh, let me give you a number here, sorry. Uh, Cut 44. We've seen military vehicles. We've also seen a lot of civilian white pickup trucks come at us, almost on suicide missions. Fire returned by Bradley fighting vehicles, as well as tanks. Yeah, you hear the, uh, (laughs) that's gunfire right there, right next to me. And then I was concerned because uh, (laughs) a lot of guys were getting shot. But I saw this dude come out with his hands up. And he was trying to surrender. And I yelled out, don't shoot that guy. I may play that on Newsmax tonight. i got to find that. Some of this stuff, it's 19 years old now. It's hard to hard to find. I have a lot of it on, like, videotape. A lot of we were still using videotape back then, you know, in storage in my attic and that kind of thing. I ought to break it out. But now it's totally different. I was one of a handful of people again, but our coverage was far more immediate than it was in you know, during Vietnam, during the first Gulf War. Now, everybody has a phone. Everybody, the TikTokers. Hey, I'm not a big social media person, and I still can't figure out TikTok, but TikTok has been amazing. And so has Instagram, showing the horrors of war. And people are just not standing for it. And they realize, wait a second, we did not, Vladimir Putin did this voluntarily? He chose to do this? This is obviously, obviously a very, very bad thing. So that's we're waiting for resolution or this thing to go into overdrive and for mad, crazy Vladimir, who, by the way, the fake news lavished praise on for many years. Time made him man of the year. Not not like, oh, not like they made Hitler man of the year, which they did. They didn't portray Vladimir Putin as a monster, which he is, by the way. He was killing people. He killed his political rivals. He's killed reporters. He's killed people. Yet the fake news still say he's a genius. They do. They say it all the time. And let's, I'm, am I okay with that? Yes, actually. He's a smart guy. He may have gone off the rails now. He's an evil guy. But yesterday I told you how they, you know, they were just badgering Trump for saying once that the guy was smart. He said the guys, like, 
The fake news has done that. I can show you. I showed you last night 50 headlines over the years recently. Washington Post, huge banner headline, the genius of Vladimir Putin. And one more time, Trump has said the exact right thing to say about Ukraine and what's happening. Quick reminder, everybody, cut 45 if you don't mind. The Russian attack on Ukraine is appalling. It's an outrage and an atrocity that should never have been allowed to occur. It never would have occurred. We are praying for the proud people of Ukraine. God bless them all. God bless them all. Pitch perfect, right? That's exactly what you're supposed to Not That's leaders. That, that, that is obvious. Our American values on display there, all right? You know, in in many ways, Trump embodied the leaders in, are supposed to embody, you know, the mood of the people. And that's where we are. But it didn't go far enough for the fake news. I know I played this yesterday, but I refined it a little bit and actually made it a little bit longer. George Stephanopoulos beating about the face and breast, chest, neck and head. Uh, Tom Cotton, because Tom Cotton doesn't want to condemn President Trump. Why should he condemn him? He just said it was an atrocity. Anyway, cut 46. You've been stalwart in your opposition to Vladimir Putin. The same cannot be said for the leader of your party, Donald Trump. Uh, last night, he finally condemned the invasion, but he also repeated his praise of Putin, calling him smart. Earlier in the week, he called him pretty smart. He called him savvy. He says NATO and the U.S. are dumb. Are you prepared to condemn that kind of rhetoric from the leader of your party? Why can't you condemn Donald Trump for those comments? You're a senior member of the Republican Party. Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. He said last night again, suggested that he would be running for president. When Fox News asked him if he had a message for Vladimir Putin, he said he has no message. Why can't you condemn that? I feel quite confident that if Donald, that if Barack Obama or Joe Biden said something like that, you'd be first in line to criticize him. President Trump was former President Trump was out there talking about it last night. I simply don't understand why you can't condemn his praise of Vladimir Putin. Uh, Why don't you, George, condemn your praise and your network's praise of Vladimir Putin? Shall we go back and look at the thousands of times you have spoken in admiration of Vladimir Putin? You can say the guy is smart and also say he's evil at the same time. All right. Gosh, talk about fake news. And by the way, tonight I'll show you. Why we think George Stephanopoulos is he's unfair, period, but particularly unfair to Donald Trump because Donald Trump embarrassed George in the biggest way. When we come back, the most ludicrous message from what we're not going to call him the mayor. What are we going to call him? We'll call him Eric. We'll just call him Eric. And he's getting dumber. Greg Kelly on 77 WABC. This is the Greg Kelly Show. I almost forgot. The State of the Union is tonight. The State of the Union. President Trump is right. It's uh, it's going to be a snooze fest. Whether you like Biden or not, and uh, nobody likes him. Uh, we, we've got the dub. But uh, nobody... Nobody sits around and listens to big speeches anymore unless it's Trump who knows how to command attention and entertain as well as inform. He's just nobody can do it other than Trump. Uh, we don't process information like this anymore. You know, the first televised State of the Union, I believe, was Truman. And people had time to sit around for an hour and 20 minutes watching a man at a podium speak. 
nobody works that way anymore. You gotta be more efficient. They should probably do away with the whole thing. There's nothing that says the president has to go to the Capitol and deliver this speech. Uh, you could he could literally send a letter. It's in the Constitution. There's some law that says he has to update everybody on the state of the union periodically. And now it turns out once a year, usually February, March. And uh, and this is how it goes down. Do you remember the last one Trump had? It was amazing. He awarded the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh, uh, surprised that soldier's family with the soldier walking in and coming home. It was incredible. It was beautiful. It was a celebration of America. Oh, that's just a bunch of uh, that. That doesn't mean anything. No, it means a lot. So much of what the president does is symbolic, is leadership, is because when you get down to it, the president operationally, he's not doesn't have the latitude that sometimes we think he has or she someday just doesn't. We want that. We want to have a king in a weird way. We want this guy to have. But he is the head of one branch of government. Yes, the head of state. But anyway, we. We tend to imbue this person with powers that sometimes uh, don't exist. Anyway, the, the ceremony is important. Joe is going to blow it. We all know it. Uh, how and he's got a tough sell tonight. All right. I mean, just think about it. What do we have going? Oh, we got crime out of control. You know, the fake news tries to say that oh, smash and grabs are no big deal. All right. A, a physician getting hit in the head uh, uh, as she comes home from work. On a New York City subway is no big deal. Anti-Asian violence, I said, I see, is no longer a big deal because they they refuse to concede it wasn't being committed by white supremacists. Now we hate white supremacists, but there are six of them, and they're in the woods in West Virginia. And when they break the law, they ought to be arrested. But the white supremacy boogeyman is not working out. I like to see him talk about anti-Asian hate. What's he going to do about that? Did you see that woman who got bashed? Another woman got bashed in the head, was in a coma for three months, just died. Targeted because she's Asian. We've got Afghanistan. Is he going to? I, I, I would imagine he's going to pretend that didn't happen. Uh, we've got a border that's totally open. And I just spent a hundred bucks to fill up my very medium-sized car. $100. So inflationary. How do you spin that? How do you come out and say the state of our union is strong? And everybody understands that we would not be in this position with the President Trump. We would not. Afghanistan wouldn't have fallen had President Trump still been president. Ukraine. This would not be happening in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin took a good look at um, Joe Biden last summer and said, yep, now's the time. So I don't know what he's going to do. Here's my hope, though. Here's my hope. A couple of things I'd like to see him do. And could change. He's got to change the game, wouldn't you say? Because what he's doing isn't working. So here's something he could do that would change everything. And it's just an acknowledgement of reality. There's no way... Joe Biden, at the age of 82, is going to be running for re-election. It's just, it's, it's just inconceivable. It's not going to happen. Now, nobody wants to be a lame duck, so he's got to talk about term two. I'm going to run, I'm going to run, I'm going to run. And he's indicated that before. But this is as lame as it gets, his leadership. 
So I feel he could turn it on its head if he said, I will not run for re-election. I do this because I want everything I do to be judged, not whether it's good for my re-election prospects, but whether it's good for the country. And if I'm running for re-election, you will automatically view it through that prism, and probably so will I. So in order to behave purely for the good of the country and recognizing, let's face it, I'm 79 years old and I'm not a young 79. You know who's 79 years old? Actually, he's 80. Mike Bloomberg. That guy's going to live to be 110, just like his mom. Yes, he said some crazy things, but he did some amazing things. And what you do is more important than what you say. Uh, but then you have Eric Adams, who doesn't know how to do anything. We'll come back with that one uh, just in a moment. You're listening to The Greg Kelly Show. You know, uh, I live in Manhattan and uh, been here how long, how, a long time now. And there are certain things that I can't do uh, that I could do. As recently as 20, the first part of 2020, in early 2020, what could I do? I could go walking at night without a thought. I used to love to go. I could ride the subway anywhere. I could um, go running at night sometimes. Like I used to, uh, I like to run. And uh, by the way, I'm still running. I started that again. I'll tell you about that later. And now I got to run in the morning. So there's plenty of people around. You, I can't do the things that I like to do because of... Uh, Horrible, weak leadership because of a crazy social movement endorsed by big media, big tech that has stigmatized cops, blamed them for everything, called them racist. Uh, The worst thing you can call somebody is a racist. By the way, when you start calling everything racist, nothing is racist. It just loses its meaning. But cops are uh, cops have it tough right now. And so do the citizens. Um. So where does that leave us? Eric Adams is the mayor, and he's having a good old time. He has zero ideas, zero ability. There's nothing in his background that suggests he knows, you know, it's up to this job, something of this scope. And I'll tell you, he was one crummy cop. Everybody who worked with him knows that. So why is he putting out videos week after week? He's the mayor now, but all all he knows how to do is campaign. All he knows how to do is Wear those silly suits and like, look at me. <laughs> I'm the mayor. I'm Eric. And here he is. This is I. This just hit. I guess the mayor's office put this out an hour ago. Does this make? Does this ring true? Any of this crap? Go ahead. That is what our cybersecurity system need. We need a reboot. And today we are announcing that reboot. And so I'm proud to be here with the governor during this historic moment. New York City is crucial to not only this state, but our country. We are the economic engines. Everyone on this team understands the mission. Get stuff done. Food is connected to everything we do. Culturally sensitive, healthy food so we can start building the right bodies and mind. Let the fruits of your harvest help other people. That's what black history is about. This amazing commissioning of the Sandy Ground Staten Island Ferry. This is the first Staten Island Ferry named to honor the rich history 
of black New Yorkers living on Staten Island. And it's so fitting. This is the way we should close out uh, Black History Month. Uh, wow, huh? Hey, just in time, March 1st, Black History Month is over. He puts this, this video out. Um, the fruits of our harvest will help other people. I'm not exactly sure. It sounds nice, uh, but what? What? No, there's more? Let me hear the rest of this. I will say this. It's catchy music. Oh, and now it's just a bunch of images that pop up. Teaming with the Attorney General to take down slumlords. Renaming a ferry. That is what our cybersecurity system need. We need a reboot. And today we are announcing that reboot. And so I'm proud to be here with the governor during this historic moment. Oh, this is just the same thing with drums. New York City is crucial to not only this state, yeah. but our country. We are the economic engines. Everyone on this team understands the mission. Get stuff, stuff done. done. Oh, that's so deep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. What are you getting done? You don't know how to do anything. That's the problem again. Where would he be without those suits? Uh, let me think here. Um, Alfred is on the line from Yonkers. Alfred, did somebody, is your name Alfred or Alfred? Hi, hi Greg. <laughs> how are you? How, how are you? What, is, your, are you is your name Alfred? Uh, yeah, I'm Alfred from Yonkers. Alfred with an E? No, no, Alfred. Yeah, that's what I figured. I, this is just the WABC spelling chief around here. Uh, it went with Alfred, E-L-G's. He's still looking at the football stuff, aren't you, Mike? Then he shakes his head, no, he's doing something. Mike's all right, and I'm not moving him to the midnight shift. Hell, you can get in trouble now for talking to Mike. Mike, are you okay? Do you need anything? Can I get you a coffee or anything like that? Everything good? He's good. You know, the way the way it works now, really, if you have Anyway, you got to kiss everybody's ass, not just the boss, the intern. You know what? The interns are the ones who really did in some of those guys. <laughs> okay, anyway, what's up, uh, Alfred? Oh, I wanted, uh, I'm going to deflect a little bit, if that's okay with you. I, I was going to talk about Vietnam because my brother was, my older brother was there, and, and I remember it very well. And? and I remember, you know, I remember all the correspondence, and uh, we've come a long way since then. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Anything else? Um, oh, about, um, if, if I may talk about the war in Ukraine a little bit, I, I think we should help those people. You don't I mean, say. I mean, am I wrong? No, of course not. We want to help those people. I mean, uh, 80 countries have already signed up. We're sending them bullets. We're sending them uh, money. Uh, a lot of this stuff is late, very weak, very lame. Trump was all over this when he was president. Lethal aid is what he needed. Zelensky. And that's not what he got from Biden. I'm sorry, from Obama Biden. Now, Biden, very late in the game, is uh, sending him some darts or something like that. Yeah, we got to help those guys. Alfred, thank you very much. Final word. Um, uh, what's life like in uh, Yonkers? It's a little it's a little rough. You know, it's a it surrounds New York City. So. No, I know where it is. But I mean, what's it like up there right now? What do you mean? It's rough. What's rough about it? It's rough. It's 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 kind of getting like, if you'll pardon the expression, like ghetto. You know, in a lot of ways, and it's it's becoming a little lawless. I mean, I, I give the police a lot of credit. You know, they don't have an easy job, but um, you know, they're they're caught between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. Yeah, the cops are, and I have no problem with the phrase "ghetto." It's um, it's been popularized. There's no racial 
connotation to it, as uh, I've heard some argue. No, it means, um, yeah, I, I get it. Thank you very much, Alfred. Uh, let's see here. We've got uh, George from Rockland County. Hi. Hey, Greg. Uh, thanks for taking my call. All I want to say is two things. First, free Ukraine, free Ukraine, free Ukraine, okay? And I cannot say it enough. And secondly, as a military person, uh, you know very well that uh, uh, equipment goes on supply. That means fuel and food. Um, Bullets, beans, and Band-Aids. We used to call it BBB, bullets, beans, and Band-Aids, the stuff, the supply chain. And uh, the Russians don't seem to have thought that out, although they might be making amends. Uh, Anyway, keep going. And this should be cut. This should be cut, okay? I remember uh, people uh, went uh, into Afghanistan. It was not part of... uh, the service, okay, volunteers, and the same way should be done, uh, especially you know yourself as an ex-pilot. Uh, you, know, you don't have to necessarily have uh, insignia uh, on, uh, on, on the jets or the planes, but they can still do the job, okay? And I'm sure there are people here, people with deep pockets, and some people willing with experience to cut their supply, if they don't get a supply, they are dead. Um, yeah, we uh, a lot of folks waited too long. Now, what were you talking about with the planes? You're saying send over, send over planes, send them over. I am saying exactly that. Okay, I'm saying here, people from around the world, not necessarily just here, but I'm sure there are plenty of people around the world with a background. Or flying planes? No, I mean, I know what you mean. I, I, in, a, in a fit of exuberance, I said, you know, I, I know how to fly. I'll go over there. But it's, 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 it's a little bit more complicated. You know, it, 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 it just it is. And you can't just go over there. It's not like Independence Day where everybody jumps in a plane and, you know, takes a shot at the big space uh, flying saucer. You know, there's they have a professional. There's a professional way to do it. I don't know if that's. I don't know if we need calling all men and boys at this point around the world. I don't know. I don't know. My wife won't let me go. Um, and I can't go. I mean, look, I haven't flown in 20 years myself. Uh, it's been a long time, uh, at least a, a fighter jet. You know what I mean? I probably uh, – I do more harm than good. I, I, <laughs> I just – I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little bit rusty. But, George, we obviously agree with you. We want to free Ukraine. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's been a long time, and it will be a long time again before we let you call back, Judith. I'm just kidding. How are you? Welcome. How are you? Nice to talk to you. Judith in Brooklyn. Hi, uh, Greg. Sorry. Um, hold on. Sorry. Take off the speaker. Oh. Hi, Greg. I'm a little. I'm very upset. Why? Very upset. Why? I... Uh... Open my phone earlier, and I take a look, and there is Zelensky, and um, I'm just looking at him, and I'm hearing there are like 400 uh, missionaries that Putin is sending out to uh, to 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 execute him. To Missin- him to missionaries? Him. You mean mercenaries? Bad guys? Yes, Sorry, they want, he wants yeah, this guy dead. Enough. Yeah. Yes. All right. And I'm looking at him, and the interpreter, I'm reading the interpreter, was uh, a German woman, and she broke down crying, and I broke down crying hysterically. And I just I'm so upset and I'm just thinking to myself, you're the perfect person to speak to, because Greg Kelly 
deep down inside of Greg Kelly, there is definitely a good, great soul and a good, great heart that I what know. What do you mean deep down inside? He's right here. Deep down. You make it sound like I'm some sort of monster. But deep no, down, if you really dig yeah. deep, you'll find the goodness in Greg Kelly. I think it pours out of me all the time. So what do you want me to do? I mean, it's upsetting. It's a war. What? what where do we go from here? Greg, so let me just say, I kind of feel, I, I go a little higher up a little bit, so you'll go with me on this probably. I feel like God is watching all of us right now. Yes. And God wants to see what man will do to for fellow man. In my eyes, God is our father. And as that, these Ukrainians, our brothers and sisters, and they're being slaughtered by this Hitlerist monster Putin um, you know, unprovoked, unjustified massacre for no reason. And I think this should be front and center. The whole world. Should well, it is. There. It is, Judith. It is front and center. The whole world is talking about it and focused on it. It is. It should be front and center well, it, where even this BS state of union, he should be talking only about this and the United. All right. Nations- all, right all right. Judith, just number one, you got to admit, this is the biggest story in the world right now. And he's going to obviously t- address it tonight. I don't think he's going to address it effectively or say anything of consequence, but this is front and center. I don't like the fake news much, but uh, I will give this to the fake news. They are concentrating on this. Right, Judith? Well, you know what? I I just want I want everyone to talk about like. All right, Judith, relax, relax. I know it's I know. I know. Look, we've seen this before. I like actually that people are so moved because there was a time, you know, where people weren't that moved by war because it was far away. And we didn't really see it. We didn't see much of it. Vietnam, you didn't really see it. The reason why people protested so much is because they didn't want to go there. They were protesting more the draft than the war. Now, I mean, we invaded a country halfway around the world, a sovereign nation. Did we have to do that? I It was front and center for a little while, and then the insurgency, and then people moved on and lost interest. Uh, you didn't see it, so you didn't think about it. So we've been through this before. This is kind of in a weird way traditional. We've been through this. Uh, uh, kingdoms have been invading neighboring kingdoms since kingdoms, right? Well, Greg, can I just say that this Putin has to be stopped? It's as simple as that. All right. Well, he has to be stopped. And you know what else? I don't know if you know this. What? You know how he started this? You know how he started this? Let me share with you. And Blinken, Secretary of Business, brought it to the United Nations. So this is not like conspiracy. This is truth. What? This evil, this evil man, Putin, he decided he was going to start the war by getting some people dressed up like Ukrainians going into the Yeah, the, the whole false sector. flag thing. I know. The false flag thing. We know about that. Yeah, I know. So, Judith, listen, don't get too down on this thing. All right? There's always going to be war. I hate to say it. But there always will be. It says that in the Old Testament, New Testament. It's true. It should be avoided. It's horrible. That's why I'm so crazy about these TikTokers. They're showing everybody how bad war is. And by the way, we can be thankful that it's not worse right now and uh, could get a lot worse. Uh, thank you, Judith. <sighs> All right. Can I go? Nice talking to you again. You been okay otherwise? I'm trying. Um, you know what? I think you're too close to the news. I think you got to light. You got to find a hobby or something. Seriously, Greg. Greg, listen. You know what I did? I actually put on music because I have. I can't. It's you know. I take things seriously. I'm very sensitive. 
talk radio has been my life since before I was born. My parents had all the time. And it's, you know, people like me care a lot. And so it's difficult. You well, know you saying? know what? People who yeah. are not like you care, too, Judith. We care. We all care. We express it differently. But well, I want I you to. What? Greg. Yes. I have different hobbies. You know, I used to, like, be a choreographer. I used to da- uh, do dancing and perform and teach kids in school seventh, eighth grade. Teach- no, seventh, I eighth had eighth no grade. idea. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, no, I gotta go. You wait a minute, Judith. I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go. I do have to go, actually. Thank you, Judith, and uh, be right back. Greg Kelly on seventy-seven WABC. Hey, consider this: with all the horrible things that Putin is doing, he's still on Twitter. He can tweet away. He has invaded another country. He is committing atrocities, war crimes. He is, and he's still on Twitter, huh? It was a jet. Whoever's running Twitter, it's oh, he's not violating the terms of service. I got in hot water the other day. What did I do? I, I made fun of the Chinese ski jump at the Olympics, and I got all kinds of warnings and red flags from Twitter. Watch out. Your speech is uh, troubling people. And, you know, one strike, two, three strikes, you're out. I got this major formal warning because I made fun of the, of, of the snow slide in China. Uh, this guy can invade another country, kill innocents, and uh, he's, he can still tweet. Trump. Trump's off Twitter. Well, because of January 6th. Really? When he said march peacefully and patriotically? When he went to Twitter in the early, mid-afternoon of January 6th and said, we love you, you have to go home now, we do not want violence We love our law enforcement. Please go home. Did it all afternoon. (laughs) Oh, the president didn't do it forcefully. You should have done it earlier. Earlier. I was watching TV, too, by the way, that day, January 6th. And even the liberal TV, the liberal fake news, some of them will admit that if you watched it on TV on January 6th, guess what? It didn't look that bad. It really didn't. I was actually very puzzled because some of the anchors were losing their minds. Oh, my gosh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to democracy. And I'm like, I'm looking at the pictures. I'm looking at the same pictures this guy's looking at. I don't see anything. I see a bunch of people walking around. Now, what did they know? Or what did they believe they would soon find out? Because the video of, you know, the stuff of the horns guy walking into the Senate, um, you know, some of the... You know, the brutal footage, the Ashley Babbitts. We didn't see that. We didn't see it till days, weeks later sometimes. Yet they really lo- they fell in love with this narrative, almost like that narrative had already been written. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, all right, wait. There was one other thing I had to do here. Trump is, uh, yeah, it's crazy that he's off of Twitter. And you know who else is on Twitter? Uh, Hillary Clinton. Hillary wants it so bad. So bad. She's going on MSNBC now a couple of times a week. Now, it, she used to be like, you know, Cuomo for a long time was afraid of the press. He was. He wouldn't do interviews very often because he knew he could put his foot in his mouth pretty easily. Um, and uh, Hillary, Hillary's been burned by the media so many times. Uh, she hates the media, but she's been going on doing a lot of shows. She basically co-anchored Morning Joe last week. I saw her last night with Rachel Maddow, and what is she doing? She's advertising, I'm here, I'm younger than Joe Biden, 
I'm actually younger than Trump. It doesn't seem that way, but she is. She's about a year and four months younger than Trump. And she wants it so bad. And you know what? Well, she may get the nomination. I could see it happening. If you can't, no, I think it could. I think it could really go that way. As I said, Joe's not getting it again. Joe is a broken broken man. Everybody can see it. He's not up to this job. Everybody knows it. And they're going to have to get rid of him. There's no way there's going to be a Joe Biden come 2020, uh, President Joe Biden, I should say. I don't care. I, I hope he lives to be 110 like Mike Bloomberg. But uh, Hillary wants it, and she's kind of auditioning. She's out there all the time. That's what that's about. She wants people to – she's kind of gently reminding, look at me. I'm viable. I'm younger. I'm younger than Joe. Oh, did anybody see Kamala Harris yesterday? I do believe she's on something. Do me a favor. She spoke at the Black History Month event and everybody thought she was drunk. Everybody thought she was on something. And I, I'll play it for you in a little bit. You tell me. I have heard from very well-placed sources that she's on something. All right? Pills, alcohol, maybe both. And if she is, I hope she gets health, help and healthy. But the erratic behavior, the giggling, kind of makes a lot of sense, right? You know it does. It's... Sad, and I wish it wasn't the case. But uh, the other thing I wanted to tell you tonight, no expectations whatsoever from the State of the Union address, but something that would go a long way. Imagine if you got to speak to 50 million people at one time. What would you say? Well, he could call for mercy and leniency for the January 6th folks. Mercy and leniency for the January 6th people. I think that would be fantastic. The first January 6th trial is actually starting. There have been a bunch of plea, uh, guilty pleas, but there there has not been a trial. That starts now. The guy has been in jail since January of 2021. What's his name here? Rhett. I got the the indictment here. What did he do? Here's the thing. He never even went into the Capitol. His name is Guy Wesley Reffitt. Now, maybe uh, uh, this is... Maybe he did something really bad, and maybe he needs to be punished, but let's just see. Guy Wesley Reffitt transported in commerce a firearm that is a rifle and a semi-automatic handgun, knowing and having reason to know and intending that the firearm will be used unlawfully in furtherance of civil disorder. Okay. Sounds like he didn't use it, though. On or about January 6, 2021, within the District of Columbia, Guy Reffitt attempted to and did corruptly obstruct, influence, and impede an official proceeding. That is a proceeding before Congress, specifically Congress's certification. Here's where it gets all political. I've seen people disrupt official proceedings all the time. Black Lives Matter summer 2020. It's still disrupting my life, by the way. You ever see those people when they went in and they harassed... uh, Kavanaugh, when they harassed and they try to shut down those hearings, when they try to take over the Senate, those people were they weren't arrested. They weren't charged. They were they weren't even asked to leave. They let them loiter in the damn hallways. What else did this guy do? Allegedly, Guy Wesley Reffert did knowingly enter and remain in a restricted building and grounds. That is any posted cordoned off or other. Hey, so did a 10,000 other people and the cops let them in. Sounds like a smells like another phony case. All right, there's the music. I got to go. Be back shortly. Greg 
Kelly. The latest breaking news and opinions. Entertaining and informative. I finished going through this indictment. It's very vague, very broad, yet they have a face out of it. The first January 6th related trial is starting. A guy named Guy Wesley Reffitt is in a lot of trouble. Had a firearm working around the Capitol Hill grounds. It's unclear to me. I don't think he was actually in the uh, Capitol building, but he was in a restricted area and the vice president and the vice president elect. He didn't use this gun on anybody. Uh, Again, we're in a crazy country in so many ways when it comes to guns, you know. Cheney can shoot his friend in the face. Plaxico Burris and, and, and go right back to being vice president. Plaxico Burris accidentally shoots himself in the foot. Use a hel- use a holster next time, Plax. A year, this guy making a federal case out of it. A federal case. You don't hear that phrase anymore. You don't have to make a federal case out of it. Remember that? What's his name? Jackie Gleason used to complain about that. It was like an Abbott and Costello thing. Nobody says it anymore. And they did say it. And it's not just old timey. They said it until recently. Don't make a big deal out of something small. But now, given our culture, whenever you get anything, you're supposed to make a big deal out of it. You can exploit it. You can milk it. You can turn it into something. You can profit from it. So making a federal case out of it, is not, that's no longer – it's like having a chip on your shoulder. Do you remember the phrase? That guy has a real chip on his shoulder. Nobody says that anymore because everybody has a chip on their shoulder. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is terrible. So many lies. So I guess what I wanted to happen tonight at the State of the Union is not going to happen, that he would talk about uh, having leniency on some of these January 6th people, that he would tell big tech to get off the backs of conservatives. That would actually go a long way. Um, No, none of that's going to happen. He's probably not going to say he's a one-term president, even though I just laid out how that could actually benefit not only him, but the country. The thing about him is he wants to be a big man in history. He doesn't want to just be a caretaker. He wants to be a big man. He wants to be viewed as a more significant president than Obama, which when you think about it, wouldn't be that hard. But uh, he still bristles that he was Obama's deputy. And put yourself in Joe Biden's shoes for a moment, I know, but you can kind of see how he would not like Obama. Uh, How old was Obama in 1972? He was uh, 11 years old. Joe Biden was elected to the U.S. Senate when Barack Obama was 11 years old. And fast forward 36 years, uh, <laughs> Biden is, is the number two to the 11-year-old. That's just – so he, underneath it all, didn't have that much respect for Obama. And by the way, that was very, very mutual. So now that we know that the world is uh, – well, we always knew this, but it's on vivid display right now that all that woke crap that we were so – well, I wasn't, but it just became all the rage, right? Being woke. you got to be woke. That's, uh, that's very important. It's very important. Even, even the Central Intelligence Agency thinks being woke is important. Even the Pentagon thinks being woke is important. I wonder – I think now is a time to revisit woke, don't you? When one of our enemies is talking about nuclear combat in Europe and we're still doing woke stuff. I think the CIA has to find this poster child for recruitment. I'm about to play you a no kidding CIA recruitment ad. Now, what I would do if I were the CIA director is fire the person who made this ad. And I'd also fire the person who stars in the ad. 
Because um, talk about a chip on her shoulder. The next voice you will hear is a CIA uh, analyst, and she's just kind of bragging about herself and her deficiencies and get out of her way because she's, I don't know, she's got this disorder and that disorder, but she's proud of herself. And I work for the CIA. Get out of my way. Cut 52. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I'm a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me. Full stop. Uh, Full stop. If you were running that job interview, somebody said something like that in a job interview, really, wouldn't you uh, call security? Wouldn't you (laughs) call a witness? You can have a person like that working for you. She's got this. This I mean, she's a millennial. She's got a chip on her shoulder. Uh, uh, by the way, she says she can change a diaper and she can uh, the, with the toddler and she's a mom. She says she's a mom five times. I don't want this person working for the CIA. I don't care about any of that stuff. But that's all you care about. By the way, she's walking around a, a, the CIA headquarters, which is decorated like a middle school. And they got little collages and like happy signs like like middle school. But that's uh, that's what's in right now, although I think we really should revisit it, don't you? Now, we all know what Putin's doing. I mentioned the nuclear stuff. You know who uh, David Martin is? This is a swamp Pentagon reporter, been around for about literally, I think, 60 years. He's been he's, 60 years. This guy has been reporting from Washington, D.C., and he was on uh, – earlier this week talking about Putin and the nuclear stuff and how chilling that would be. And I agree. Here's his assessment. Really? Ready? Cut 50. He started before the invasion uh, threatening. He, he said anybody who tries to interfere will suffer consequences like they've never seen before in history. If just one low-yield nuclear weapon goes off, even if he just does a demonstration shot out in Siberia. That's just no experience for for what happens next. That would be wild. Uh, um, A nuclear display at this moment? What would happen next? What would we do? Now, that's challenging, right? What the hell would we do? And we saw this coming, right? Putin had invaded Ukraine before. The same guy, the one you just heard on television on Christmas Eve. And this is what he says the existential threat is to America. Not Putin, not nuclear weapons, January 6th. Yes, January 6th. Cut 51, David Martin, CBS, fake news guy. When you look at what's happening right now and the folks you talk to at the Pentagon, do they believe the biggest national security threat is internal or external? Internal, no question. No Military people will, will say that to you. The biggest threat to the United States of America is a reincarnation of January 6th. Go to hell. You can go to hell. You have absolutely no credibility whatsoever. huh? And if somebody really did tell you that, you should have laughed at him and you should have walked out and said, I'm never talking to this bird brain again. January 6th. The horns guy. That's a greater threat to national security than Putin and a nuclear weapon. That's how screwed up our Pentagon is right now. That's how our our priorities are totally out of whack. Beyond.
beyond that stuff. Hey. Oh, and into the mix. You know, you can rely on Newsmax. At one point, you could rely on Fox News. Oh, Fox. What happened to Fox? The shenanigans. What was it? What did that guy say in The Godfather? That foss you pulled with my sister. That foss you pulled with Arizona. Calling it when you did, how you did. Um, Look, after Roger Ailes left, that place totally lost its way. They don't know what they're doing. Yes, they're still making money, but there's no soul there anymore. There's no conviction. They're just... They're just kind of imitating what they think works instead of doing what works. Hey, there are some exceptions. I mean, Tucker Carlson's uh, is amazing, but you see a lot of this now, and the fake news eats it up. So when their reporters turn on the anchors, the reporters turn on the anchors on TV. I saw a little of this when I was there. I didn't like. I didn't do it. I, I thought that was disrespectful. If you have a problem with an anchor, you send him an email. You talk it out. You don't do it on air. Um, but that's not how you get in the paper. And Jennifer Griffin, there, I guess she's the Pentagon correspondent, probably likes to be in the paper because she's fact-checking in real time uh, her Fox News colleagues. Not really, actually. She's injecting her own opinion, like this clip right here. She got all kinds of credit for this. The Washington Post made this their, uh, made, did a headline about this. Oh, look at her. And they cited this example. Jennifer Griffin from Fox News shutting down Harris Faulkner on live television. It's not that interesting, really. It's not like I've seen dramatic things on TV. This is not up there. But anyway, uh, cut 53. When you say we saw this coming, they saw this coming. I'm just wondering why that was still the only strategy deployed. Well, Harris, let me let me let me I need to follow up on that, because what you're talking about, if it's more than sanctions, you're talking about sending U.S. troops to Ukraine. If you had put those NATO troops into position before Putin crossed into Ukraine, you would have given him a pretext to go into Ukraine. This has been very calibrated because of the concern that Putin was looking for a pretext to go in. How do you know, Jennifer? How the hell do you know? You say pretext. Maybe it's a deterrent. Maybe sending NATO troops would have been a deterrent. So she's not fact-checking. She's injecting her own opinion. Yet she gets credit for fact-checking. No, she's injecting her own opinion, a pro-Biden administration opinion, by the way. You see what she said about the Biden administration's approach to all this? Very calibrated. Very calibrated. Thanks a lot, Fox News. If I want to hear uh, defense of the Biden administration, I can check in with Jen Psaki. And maybe that's her next destination. Who else over there annoying me lately? Uh, oh, the weather machine, Janice Dean. What's her beef with me again? Oh, yes, I uh, I took a shot at... Uh, look, I'm not that... I'm not. He's, he's a talented guy, but I'm not crazy about him. I just don't like his manner. I, I don't like his style. I, he did a report about town a couple of years. I'm talking about Jesse Waters. Did this report on Chinatown years ago that I thought was absolutely disgusting. And it was just anti-Asian hate in two minutes. And he goes down there to make fun of people. And it was horrific. Yet there he is, smiling his ass off, uh, cheesy guy. And uh, my understanding is that uh, he was the protege of Bill O'Reilly. And Bill O'Reilly kind of taught him a lot. And Bill O'Reilly left Fox News, and this guy wants nothing to do ever again with Bill O'Reilly. I think that's kind of low, because from what I can tell, 
everything this guy is is thanks to Bill O'Reilly. And uh, he does a kind of a low-grade imitation of Bill O'Reilly now. So I pointed that out, and Janice Dean says, oh, you're so mean now. You're so mean. Well, who the hell made her Mother Teresa, by the way? I see she's running around, you know, trying to shut down anybody who says anything about anything. She says, you used to work with this guy. No, I didn't. I never worked with him. You know, and I would see these people at most, you know, at a Christmas party once every two years, at best. You know, Twitter is where you go, quite frankly, to have an argument. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. You know, it's not It's not a forum for kindness. It's where you go to test your ideas, to um, in, engage, to mix it up. That's what it's for. And uh, what did she do? Janice is now picking fights with everybody, with the governor, with uh, the, this lawyer, with uh, the beloved owner of this TV, of uh, this uh, radio station, soon to be a TV station, by the way. So I don't like it. Oh, I do have to do this. I do like Tulsi Gabbard. Did we do this already? She was at CPAC. Tulsi Gabbard is a liberal Democrat. Well, I don't want to call her a liberal. She's a libertarian, I think. But she is a Democrat from uh, Hawaii in Congress. She hates Putin. Well, every now and then they accuse her of sucking up to Putin. So... Maybe you put a question mark over that. I don't know, but I do like what she said the other night. Listen to this. Cut 54. If you go on DHS.gov, you'll find Biden's Department of Homeland Security summarizes the three factors that led them to declare that we are in a heightened state of a domestic terrorism threat. The first of those three factors is, quote, the proliferation of false or misleading narratives, which sow discord or undermine public trust in U.S. government institutions. Basically, what they're telling us is you are an enemy of the state if you dare to oppose or even question the president, his administration, or his policies. Shut up, step back, fall in line, or we're coming after you. She's right. She's right. She's right. And you know what? Who the hell is the government to start to determine what's false and what's misleading? Stay the hell out of it. Joe Biden said when he was inaugurated, we have a duty to, to, to defend the truth and to stamp out the lies. That sounds that to me, to you, that may sound nice. That may sound great, right? Yeah. Who's not for uh, the truth? I'm not for anybody telling me what the truth is. The government should not be involved in that, okay? Now, brilliant people can disagree about the truth. You see it every day at the Supreme Court, 5-4 decisions, 5-4 decisions. Whatever you want to say about the Supreme Court, those guys are very smart. They're good at books, and they can look at the same books and the same law and come up with different truths. I heard it all in 2020. I heard it all during Me Too. Your truth. Speak your truth. My truth. Oh, one other thing about Janice. There she was crying her eyes out when Roger Ailes, who also gave her a hell of a lot of opportunity in life. And then when he was safely in the grave, she wrote that he was a she wrote very talk about unkind. She said about the most unkind things you could say about somebody in this day and age. Hmm. Wonder wonder what's wonder what makes her tick. I wonder what's in her heart. Hmm. All right. Give me a moment. I uh, play the music. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on 77 WABC. This is the Greg Kelly Show. 
Hey, there's something you should check out if you get a chance. It's called The Trayvon Hoax. The Trayvon Hoax. It's a movie and a book by a guy named Joel Gilbert. It's talking about Trayvon Martin. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, right about now, Trayvon Martin was the biggest story in the country. Remember, he was shot and killed by George Zimmerman. Zimmerman claimed self-defense. A jury ultimately agreed with him. Joel Gilbert found out so much amazing stuff. Number one, uh, they, they faked a witness in that trial. They actually invented somebody, a stand-in, fake identity, everything. Um, Trayvon Martin was no angel. Absolutely not. You'll see this. But it was all kind of a plot. Uh, Black Lives Matter came about shortly after the Trayvon Martin verdict. And why did Black Lives Matter come about? Which, by the way, is a totally radical, anti-family, socialist organization. And they say it out loud. You can look it up on the on, the, on, the, on their site, internet site, website. Uh, they're opposed to the nuclear family. And it's mostly about more than black rights, by the way. It's about transgender stuff. I'm all for equality. Um, but they want to reform what the family looks like get rid of the nuclear family mother father you know children no that's somehow bad that's a that's a, has roots in the patriarchy or some hideous ideology like that anyway black lives matter came about because guess who was doing not so well in the polls with black people barack obama yes he was declining he was uh, he was in Office about four years at that point, uh, black people looked around and said, you know what, our situation isn't improving here very much. He seems to be doing a lot for other people, especially illegal aliens. What about us? And he started to drop in the polls with African-Americans. And they couldn't have that, so they had to find an issue and exploit it and emotionalize it and get black people back on board and that gave us Black Lives Matter. So I want to play the trailer of this movie. It's pretty, It's something. It's, uh, again, the Trayvon Hoax by Joel Gilbert. Go ahead. Cut 60, if you don't mind. The shooting death of Trayvon Martin was ground zero for racial division in America. Trayvon Martin was killed for wearing a hoodie, uh, quite frankly. I decided to produce a film on how the case affects American politics to this day. I used forensic handwriting analysis and even DNA to confirm what I had covered, that Diamond was switched for a fake witness in a murder trial in the most stunning hoax in American judicial history, a hoax whose consequences have been tragic beyond anyone's imagination. And then they show these images of Ferguson, Baltimore, you know, on fire. And you can trace it all to the lies that were told about Trayvon Martin. It's pretty fascinating. I have a guest coming up. We don't usually do that, but it should be very nice. A former judge. Before we do that, let's get to some of you. Catherine in Connecticut, hello. Show, how you been? Just fine. Um, just wanted to say I think wokeism is for lemmings. I believe we are going into a path of communism with our current government. I mean, no free speech, very anti-constitutional, open borders, shutting down the oil, and a media that should be ashamed of itself. If I reported the news when I used to be a journalist, like they report the news, I would have been fired in a heartbeat. Um, I think these people are dangerous to us. I mean, look at the cabinet. They have picked the worst people for every job. It's incredible. I do not believe they have our best interests at heart. Uh, 
I think they are actively out to destroy the United States as it was. I think they're very dangerous people. Um, hey, can I ask you, where were you a journalist? A long time ago at Cox Radio in Norwalk, Connecticut. Hmm. Nice gig. Um, and I also worked a short time for WRNN when they were still doing news and stuff like that. So learned a lot of stuff, met a lot of folks, and it was nice. You got to see behind the scenes, and, and it made me very curious and investigative. And when I see this stuff, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm watching my country dissolve in front of me. And it is so sad that our kids aren't being educated the way they need to be. They're not progressives. They're not leftists. Catherine, uh, there's the music. I got to go. Don't lose hope. Stay active. Stay engaged. I'll be back. You're listening to The Greg Kelly Show. A special treat, an in-house guest. Uh, He was a judge for a very long time, 10 years on the bench. Judge Herb Dodell. He has a new book, From the Trench to the Bench, Navigating the Legal System and Finding Your Spiritual Path Along the way, Judge, Judge Dodell, welcome. How are you? Thank you very much. You know where the title comes from? Yeah, what's the, no. People always say, what's the trench? Yeah. The trench is when I was practicing law, it was always a fight. Every day was adversarial. And so you were, that's why it was the trench. It's like being in the war. And when you get to the bench, what is that? Is oh, that the pinnacle? Is that the... It's a remarkable change because you have no dog in the fight. And so you look at things from a whole different perspective. You're not looking to make money because you're not getting any, and you're not looking for anything in the terms of winning cases because you're not in, you're not an involvement part. How worried are you, though, because you guys get reversed on appeal? That can happen. They're looking at your every move, every word in that opinion. They read. That's true, and I can honestly say, as far as I know, I was never reversed, although there's an opinion, City of Los Angeles versus Garber, that basically affirmed the decision I made. I was just sitting in restraining order court, which was really a great experience talk about real life restraining order court restraining like uh some, domestic violence. some woman goes in i want this guy away from me for a long time yeah one lady came in and said i want you to stop this woman from looking at me because she has x-ray eyes and she's seeing what's going on in my brain those are the kind of cases sometimes. but i also had very serious child molestation child abuse cases that were really serious so over the five years plus that I sat there, I heard great stories. And I said, this is a great thing to tell the people. So I wrote the book. Well, congratulations. The book, again, From the Trench to the Bench, Navigating the Legal System and Finding Your Spiritual Path Along the Way is available everywhere. Hey, actually, can I skip to the Finding Your Spiritual Path Along the Way part? Uh, sure. What do you mean by that? Most lawsuits or litigations deal with ego. Most people... Sue other people because they feel they've been wronged. Somebody took something away from them. Uh, and they want to get even. And so the real way to win lawsuits is to look at the area of compromise, settlement. Because then you give up your ego. You may give up something, but you get something in return. The system itself is totally uncertain. There's one thing about the system, and that's uncertainty. For example, I sat in small claims court last three years, and there are no lawyers there. People just come and tell their story, and we relax the rules of evidence. And so that's the place where real justice takes place. So the people's court is actually more realistic than I was led to believe, Oh, right? it's actually, although I 
one time I was reprimanded. I don't know if it's reprimanded is the right word for using too much humor in the courtroom. There's no Who reprimanded you? Not the bailiff. Who? No. The appeals guy. <laughs> no, the administrator. The administrator. So we didn't appoint you to be Judge Judy. <laughs> hey, here's someone I, I like. Who made you Judge Judy and executioner? Have you ever heard that one? I probably have. You, okay, listen. Judge, you mentioned something, though. You didn't do it for the money. We know that judges, for the most part, uh, are civil servants, essentially. That's what, we, that's what we do. Now, here's the thing. I don't get it. Because you're at the pinnacle of your legal career. Like, take you, uh, a justice on the Supreme Court. Uh, these guys in private practice could make many millions of dollars. And then they're making, quite frankly, you know, pennies in comparison. Um, I, I wonder, I just have always been confounded by that. That seems like it might be a recipe for corruption, potentially. Well, most people do not understand what happens in the legal system. They see it on television. They hear about it. They read about it. They really have no clue as to what goes on behind the scenes. Well, one thing, though, just before, I mean, they don't get we, – we agree, though. They don't get paid that much. That's true. And the bottom line is I was very fortunate. I had a very good practice. I was making a fairly good living. And I said to myself, you know, I've been very blessed by all of this. It's time to give it back to the, to the people. That's wonderful. And I tried very hard. People always say to me, did you ever rule in favor of somebody that you didn't like or vice versa? And the bottom line is I never allowed myself personally to get emotionally involved in any cases. And I tell this story because it's, it's kind of interesting. I was sitting in small claims court and some lady litigant was the plaintiff, actually. She was not happy with some of the things I was saying, so she's getting ready to charge the bench. The bailiff was trained, of course. She grabbed her and, and she couldn't keep quiet. I said, you know what, if you don't stop talking... I'm going to have you stand in the hallway. And the bottom line was, at the end of the day, the defendant was a nice, well-dressed guy, three-piece suit, and every, everything that you want to look at as a professional person. The bottom line is I ruled in her favor. And I, in the happy, big mouth's favor? I did. And the reason was she was right. Yeah. Legally, she was right. I, I remember a case where I wanted to do something for a plaintiff. I really wanted to do it. I couldn't do it. In fact... That case was kind of interesting because I had to decide the constitutionality of the statute. It was a real legal issue. In fact, I worked the whole weekend preparing an opinion. Right. I wanted to help the defendant. I really, I really wanted to. Nice people and everything else. But the research showed it's wrong. I couldn't do it right. Wrong so on the law. That was the, that was the end of the day. Hey, did you have a gavel? You know, people always ask me that. I think there was one in the drawer. What, 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 what's the origin of that? Why is that a thing? I don't know because the way it generally works is we, we, we are in chambers. And when we come out, the bailiff's got the one-liners, please rise or whatever they say. And so you just basically walk up a couple of steps and you're sitting on this elevated platform and you have no need for a gavel. Everybody can hear you. How well, about absolutely this? Absolutely, they can hear you. And uh, I was just thinking as I was standing in the hallway here, about cell phones. Somebody said, make sure you turn your cell phone off. I said, this reminds me of a funny story. I'd get, I used to do a little speech. When I started the session, I'd say, everybody, turn off your cell phones because if, you, if it goes off while we're in session, You're in I'm going to take the cell phone away from you. You come back at 4 o'clock and you can pick it up. Uh-huh. And while I was just finishing this story, my cell phone went off. Oh, judge. So got, lead by a little, example. A little embarrassing. Did you wear robes? Yes. 
Now, have to. Wh- why? 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 What's the law? Why do you have? How can? They, where's it? Where? Wait, wait, Judge. They actually passed a law that says the judge must wear a a gown. Yes. Now, come on. Who passed that? Where is that law? Uh, I got to see it's that. It's in the law because one time I I went out without wearing it, and some bailiff came. I said, "You got to wear your robe." You know, it's a misdemeanor. You're out there without a robe on. So that you know the law better than the bailiff. I don't buy this. I don't buy this. I'm going to look true it up. Story. I'm sure but, he said but that. They're but they're very, I, they're very, very aware of your safety. I remember in, in Long Beach, uh, I was sitting in a courtroom on the same floor as the presiding judge, and an issue came up, and I didn't know the answer. Yeah. So I said, "Okay, I'll just walk down to the presiding judges," and I had my robe on. Right. So I'm walking down the hallway. I get to the DJ's courtroom. I walk in, and I'm going to talk to the PJ. The bailiff folks over me says, you can't walk in the hallways here. You with your robe on, you uh, can't because we have to watch out for you. Somebody's liable to jump you. And so they're very, very cautious. In fact, when I was sitting, some nights I would work uh, small claims at night. Well, hold on one second, Judge. You were in Long Beach. Long Beach. Judge Wapner was from Long Beach, right? I don't think he may. I, I think he was. Did you ever cross paths with Judge Wapner? I actually took his deposition when I was practicing I, law. I knew it. I knew the same community. It's obviously the same community. You took a deposition from him when you were practicing law? He I a, did. I took the deposition of several interesting people. By the way, I don't, Hugh Hefner. I don't think he's dead yet, uh, Wapner. So you got to yeah, be see, careful. I think he is. Uh, his son is alive. His if son he, is a judge. If he's dead, he just, we're talking about Judge Wapner, who is the first host of the People's Court before yes, Ed was. Koch. Judge Wapner, I believe he's still alive. Oh, nope, you're right. He's dead. But he died when? he? Oh, he died five years ago. What yeah, the hell? Get with the times, Greg. Well, his son, his son is a judge in, in L.A. County. Is he really? Yeah. Huh. All right. So nice ju- guy. Um, oh, wait. You said something about Hugh Hefner? I took Hefner's deposition. I took Barry Gordy's deposition. Well, wait. What did Hugh Hefner? We, well, what was it? Divorce? 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 case. I represented the chef at the Playboy Mansion. And as he was leaving for the... The guard dog jumped up, bit him in the face, and tore his lip, required plastic surgery. So I sued not only the Playboy Club, but I sued Hefner individually. Mm. I knew I really didn't have a case, but I did anyway. And I took his deposition, and I said to him as he was leaving my office, I said, look, this is nothing personal. I said, I'm sorry you're going to have to spend three weeks sitting in a courtroom, and really, you're going to have to do that. Yeah. A week later, I had the case settled. He called his insurance company, told him, settle this case. I'm not spending three weeks in a courtroom. Oh. I took the money from the settlement, and I bought a house. That's man. how I got my first house. Well, man, I should have gone to law school. Sounds fantastic. Interesting work. It you was good. Wild was good. people. Judge, we have to wrap up, unfortunately. But listen, uh, this book and all the stories sound really – they're great. What a rich, interesting life. You can buy the book on Amazon, From the Trench to the Bench, Navigating the Legal System and Finding Your Spiritual Path Along the Way. And there are, by the way, a lot of useful little things here. Like you have a choice at one point. Do you want a judge trial or a jury trial, right? Absolutely. What's a, real quick, 10 seconds. What's the rule of thumb on that? Depends on who your party you're representing. Sometimes you're better off with a judge because your client's not going to come across real well in front of a jury. Oh. They don't like him or her, and it's a problem. So you want a judge. It's a one-person thing. It's like small claims. Oh. You get one person who's going to decide whether you're going to win or lose. Oh, gosh. Personally, I want to avoid the whole thing. 
the courtroom. But I look forward to the book. That's as close as I want to get. Um, thank you, Judge, very thank much. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate Ju- it. Judge Herb Dodell. We'll be right back. That, I like that guy a lot, Judge Dodell. He's, uh, he just told me he's a boxer. He's learning how to box. I love it. Lifelong learning. You don't have to stop learning when you're, uh, you know, when you get out of high school or college. Uh, uh, you can learn forever. My father, I learned that from him. I was just reinforced by the judge. I'm uh, going to take Spanish here, and I'm not just going to take Spanish. The last thing I'm going to do, by the way, is get that, uh, what was that silly thing called that no, never nobody ever even opened? Rosetta Stone. You ever see the yellow box, Rosetta Stone? You ever see that? I don't know if they're around anymore, but I don't think anyone's ever learned the language with Rosetta Stone. Uh, but there are ways online. There are a million ways to learn a language. All right. My big rule of thumb, which I copied from Jordan Peterson, the professor from Canada who's written a bunch of books, and uh, he's very outspoken. He's conservative. He's great. One of his rules of life, do not compare yourself to anyone. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Well, let me tell you who I was yesterday. I was a guy who could only run 2.1 miles at a 10-minute per mile pace. Today, I am a guy who can run 2.25 miles at a 10-minute mile pace. Yes, that is slow. Yes, serious runners would scoff at that. Some people might even feel sorry for a guy like me taking pride in such an accomplishment. They can go suck an egg. I am so pleased with my progress because it's better than yesterday. And it was better than Saturday. And it was better than last week. And I actually made myself into a pretty decent runner before COVID. Here was the deal. Before COVID, I went in about six months from running very slow. I think it was about... 10 minutes, uh, the same thing, but but even shorter. Anyway, in about six months, I was running seven-minute miles. Now, there are people out there who can run a lot faster. I don't care. And seven-minute miles is pretty fast. I would run down the Esplanade. People thought I stole something compared to the way most people jog. Running seven-minute miles is like, it's not sprinting, but it's very fast. Like, what the hell is that guy doing? (laughs) <laughs> What's he up to? Uh, you, if you're not running in a road race, nobody runs that fast. Anyway, I'm very pleased. I'm going to get there again. Oh, and something else I did today. I lifted weights. Um, I don't have anything else to report about that. I'm pretty uh, – anyway, I'm just – you got to take care of the body. You also got to take care of what's going on in the inside, and it is my hope. I already told you what do I want from Joe Biden tonight. I don't know how the hell he's going to explain all these horrible failures from Afghanistan to the – ambivalent uh, signals we were giving Vladimir Putin to crime out of control to the border. I don't know how you spin all of that and say the state of the union is strong. You know, every president's supposed to say that the state of the union is strong. Uh, it's not. It's delicate right now. We all know that. How could we strengthen it? Well, Joe Biden has talked about unity. That was his his whole heart and soul is in it. Unity. Remember that? Well, if he called off the dogs on the January 6th folk, if he called off uh, big tech, told them to uh, leave conservatives alone, what else could he do? Stop calling his political enemies racist? I think that would I think that would go a long way. But he's not going to do any of that, unfortunately. It would be nice. But I am kind of curious. Here's a guy. You know, he has bragged. When it comes to his faith, I hear him talk about Bo Biden, 
and I hear him talk about how well he knows the Pope. And then he's got a rabbit's foot and lucky charms and stuff like that and being Irish and just and what his grandma used to say and don't keep the faith, Joey, spread it. Huh? What? Anyway, 50 million, 70 million. I don't know. How many people watch these things anyway? If you had a chance to talk to everybody at one time, what would you say? If you're a person of faith, maybe, and you've been really moved and you, I don't know, why doesn't he ever talk about Jesus? Why doesn't he? That would be nice. Why do so few people talk about Jesus? They have somehow stigmatized Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The perfect, the perfect being is somehow you're, you are to be embarrassed. You can't talk about that. You might offend somebody. You can't talk about that. That's corny. You can't talk about that. That's religion. You can't talk about that. I heard about a priest once. You can't talk about that. I was offended by somebody. You can't talk about that. I know what you did. I saw what you said. You're a hypocrite. You can't say anything about Jesus. Well, Jesus came for the sick, not for the perfect, okay? You can look that up. It's in there. He didn't come for the perfect people, of which there are none. He came for the sick people, of which there are plenty, of which I am one, quite frankly, from time to time. Yes, broken and in need. We all need him. But why can't we talk about him? Why can't we celebrate him? Why is that reserved for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning? You've seen how sparsely attended those sessions are, by the way? COVID was the one kick we didn't need. Anyway, you have everything to be gained in a relationship with him. And so few people want to go there, or too few people want to go there, I should say, because uh, of the world's disapproval, the world, people. Know what I mean? You know what I mean? Walker, you've been on hold for 73 minutes. What's on your mind? Greg, uh, good afternoon. You're right. The NYPD sending 100 police officers to Washington. You know that. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was on uh, NDT TV last night, so it must be true. Hundred NB what? Who? NTD TV. It's uh, Taiwan TV. Okay. Uh, I'll look it up while you talk. Keep going. All right. So they're sending 100 police to uh, D.C. Yeah, thank you. Please, you know, fact check that. And so many were lost because they didn't get the COVID shot and so many retired. And then the ones that are left, I hate to say it, and don't take this the wrong way. They're on iPhones, cell phones, burner phones, phones to the gumad. We're in trouble. I notice what you mean. I've noticed what you're saying about cops and the cell phones. That's a problem not only in policing, by the way, every industry in the world. Everybody just wants to sit around and be on their phone. Uh, I do it too much myself. Uh, I have seen, I, I, I quite frankly, I mentioned it to uh, a person I know who's very experienced in law enforcement and said, yeah, it's a problem. You know, that's it, you're supposed to be vigilant. you got to be looking. Cops can say it's work-related, but I have a sense, strong sense, that often it isn't. I love cops. Maybe they have the same problem I do. The same problem Mike DiDino does right over there on his cell phone looking up football and all that stuff in his sports betting parlor and misspelling 
the name Alfred. He spells it Alfred. Now, I can't blame him because he was thinking about football and not our caller. And that's what the cell phone will do. Uh, you know what I mean, Walk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Hey, man, good point. Thank you. I got to find out about that uh, cops going to Washington. That would seem to be a way to, I think, uh, negatively portray the truckers who are arriving in D.C. as we speak. Uh, Carlotta, hello uh, from Rhode Island. Yes. How are you? Hi. Uh, I, I'm going to be tactful. What? You, you, you featured so. I know you got angry at me about the necktie, and here we go again. But you featured a CNN personality on your pro on your uh, TV program last night. Who? Well, look it up. But wait, I, wait, look I, it up. I mean, I did not. I know who I had on the show. I didn't feature anybody from CNN. I criticized a couple of people from CBS. I don't know what you're talking about. You said he was on in 2017 and made a accurate prediction. Wait a second now. This now now this is ringing somewhat familiar. Just say it. You seem to know it in 2017. Just say Should it. I say his name. Yeah. I don't want to. Okay, uh, Michael Smirkanish. Oh yes, that's true, Michael Smirkanish. I. Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, I didn't have him on as a guest. He said seven words. It was a soundbite from five years ago. So uh, what's the problem, Carlotta? He was talking right. about Russia um, fueling racial strife in America, which it did. So what's the issue? What, 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 you don't like that I said that? Listen, this man portrays himself as a middle of the voter. He is such a snake. It's, he has a program on Sirius every morning from 9 to uh, 12, I think. He's very good with general interest and social, uh, cultural issues. But he is such a snake. Okay, all right. Look, I'm sure he's a, a leftist and all that stuff. But, I mean, snake, that's a pretty strong word. I mean, give me an example. What's going on here? And then, look, by the way, I am uh, I put him on for seven seconds because he said something six years ago that was right. So what's the problem? Name something specific. And I'm all ears. I mean, I'm sure he has done something wrong. Go ahead. Right. It was wrong. Wait, okay. what? If it was, if he was right, he was wrong. He has a poisonous agenda. You ever meet this guy? No. I, I sense there could be something personal. You're taking no. this very, very personal, Carlotta. Yes, because I've listened to him for 40 years. Well, why you the hell are you listening to him if he's a crummy snake? Turn him off. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Because he used to be okay. When Trump came into office, he became a male Hillary. Yeah, a lot of folks did. They lost it. They lost it with Trump. They did. Exactly. They did. They did. All right. Everything good up there otherwise? Wonderful. All right. Thank you, Carlotta. Uh, Thank you. I'll check it out. And uh, thank you, everybody. I got to go across the street. Newsmax tonight at uh, 7. Ooh. The State of the Union. I will be live tweeting the State of the Union at Greg Kelly USA. At Greg Kelly USA. Goodbye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.